hello and welcome to episode 181 of the 1099 for the week of December 31st, 2018, last podcast of the year. I'm your host, Josiah Renauden, and with me today is a co-founder at Pop Agenda, former brand manager at Square Enix, and a noted Canadian, Genevieve Saint-Ange. Jen, I've been looking for someone who has a Frencher full name than me for about 180 episodes, and we're 181 in. I finally found it. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for celebrating our very mutual French names. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm i at this point in my life where I used to be like super proud of the last name and would try to pronounce it like Rinaldine and try to get all fancy with it. But like the, the deeper you get, the more you're just like, just call me Joe Renaudin. I don't care anymore. <laughs> like you're never going to get it right otherwise. Oh man. Yeah. Well, I'm now in the States officially a Miller. I still go by Saint-Ange, but Miller is saving my life on so many occasions, especially airports. So that's the only pro oh, of <laughs> changing my last name in the States. Is there like a whole bunch of issues when you're signing up for things online or buying anything where you have like the, the hyphen in your name? Like, has that yeah, been a thing yeah. that's really like fucked you over, over and over again? Actually, most government forms, like official forms, even my immigration documents, the iPhone is not supported so it's just messed up all over the place um so it's really convenient to be Miller now <laughs> yeah I, I I'm extremely jealous again I'm proud of my last name I'm not saying I need to marry your husband or anything like exactly. that but no like, you can't just... you totally can <laughs> okay I'm allowed to okay all right. really well, nice. I, don't, I don't know how these rules work I know it's, I it's you know different from LA to San Francisco I don't We're know if you can do like multiple <laughs> just kidding just kidding don't marry him. He's mine. I love him very much. Okay, I won't. I promise. All right, I have a billion questions about Pop Agenda because I love everything it sounds like you're doing. It's I'm massively into the business side of games, the promotion of games, PR, how indies go from kind of unknown as suddenly, again, Dead Cells is the example I use very often. Suddenly, everyone knows about Motion Twin and everyone loves Dead Cells. So let's start here. You were at Square Enix before. You are now in the US. You are in San Francisco. So when you were kind of sitting around thinking, what's my next move? How did this specific idea come up? Oh, man. Um, it was, so I guess for a little bit of like background information, as you mentioned, I couldn't work forever, again, tied to my crazy uh, immigration story, which technically wasn't that crazy. It just took forever to come through. I didn't have the permission to work until they delivered my work permit. And now I officially have my residency thank god um but in that insane nine to ten months period where i couldn't work it was a really brutal wake-up call for me i've always been this career-driven person where i defined most of my personality through work and really invested real time in building my own personal life and meeting greg obviously sidetracked all of that because i quit my job and i moved here um, and that nine month period where I had to sit down and reflect on what I wanted to do um, with my skill set and what were my motivations as a human being, you know, how do I define myself without work? It really came together into this kind of big question mark of how can I use my skill set in the most relevant way and how can I help other people? through this weird career of games marketing that I've chosen because it's, let's be honest, it's not the most like <laughs> uh, humanity work <laughs> oriented yeah. career. So I, I explored a bunch of different work opportunities uh, on the West coast and I poked around and spoke and met with a bunch of amazing teams. And at the end of the day, I always felt like the most impactful work I could do was with 
smaller developers and I'm a huge fan of indie games myself. And so I sat down and it was just like how I want this to define the next couple years of my life. And I want really want to commit to that direction and maximize all my extremely important work relationships and net, professional network I've built over the last almost 10 years. It's, I've been in the industry since 2011. So yes, it, we're coming up on eight, eight, to, yeah, eight years. I don't want to overdo it. Almost 10. <laughs> <laughs> and like most of my career has had been based on building teams and establishing work pipeline pipelines with first parties and platform holders and, agencies and really building kind of publishing pipelines because we've always been in the situation where even at Square we had most of the um, independence in terms of getting our games out there because we were doing you know the, the Go series and mobile games are not exactly super um, common in the West yeah. at Square in terms of uh, development studios so we had to internalize a lot of stuff and take ownership over our own publishing. Granted, we had the amazing networks of Square and their PR teams across the globe to help us uh, leverage everything. But all the strategy and the vision was internal to us. And initially it was just me. And then I hired Nick, who's now my my co-founder at Pop Agenda, um, because I just love him so much. (laughs) And I (laughs) I couldn't bear the thought of starting something without him. So anyway... After I decided to kind of take that consulting, air quotes, route, uh, he's the guy I immediately went to and I told him, he was still at Square back then, and I told him, look, I think I'm going to do this. Um, I have no idea how that's going to pan out. Because I already had been during that nine months period kind of doing free pro like pro bono consulting because, again, it didn't work. And it was fairly easy and quite rewarding and that just fueled my interest for it um and so when i told nick look i think i'm gonna do that he's like well okay cool um i think that's a great idea and how about we do it together and then that uh, we had a company like right off the bat and then (laughs) we looked at our skill sets um so he's very marketing and social as well i'm brand and strategy um, and we were like, you know, what would be pretty sweet as if we had a third pillar that was more production oriented. And we had this friend in Montreal, um, MC Marie Christine, for added French to this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> she was a producer on Fez and Rogue Legacy, and had recently moved to Montreal with her husband and, well, her whole family. They have two kids. Um, and she hadn't been in a traditional workspace for a while because she was focusing on her family and everything. And which I think is the most amazing thing because taking time away from work when you're within our industry is extremely challenging. Um, and so she had been kind of, uh, looking at the idea of getting back into the industry, but wasn't exactly sure how. And so we approached her and Nick had been already talking to her. And it was just an immediate click. So um, we all were in moments in our lives where we were perfectly aligned in terms of what we wanted to do and where we wanted to go. And we were all in the perfect position at the right time. And 
Nick's wife was pregnant at the time. So I'm like, don't quit your job, <laughs> please. <laughs> um, and his baby came early. And so he went on paternity leave. And then he, when he was home, he was just like, I don't see myself going back to work. So let's do this. And yeah. so it just all happened at once. And that was right after I had started doing some work with the Red Barrel team on Outlast. And the Messenger was actually the team, the Sabotage team was my first uh, contract and Martin, uh, who's a producer on the team, was like, "I, I, I need you to do this. I need you to come on board because we we had worked together back at my first job. He was my mentor, um, mm-hmm. and we went full circle. And he's like, you're doing this. You're going freelance, and I'm hiring you. You're I'm your first client, and that's the end of it. <laughs> and so it started off like that, um, and just everything fell into place naturally. There was such a big pool of amazing developers in Quebec and Montreal and Canada as a whole. So it was super kind of natural in terms of no one does what we do, which we'll get, yeah. we'll get there eventually. But essentially the, the easiest way I describe us is we're broke publishers. So we do everything that a publisher does except fund projects. Um, and so with the Canadian media fund up in Canada, there's a lot of fun, like production funds that goes to teams. Um, but not a lot of marketing resources. So it's kind of a such an easy, natural fit for us to work with those teams. And now we've started expanding to other countries as well. So it's pretty sweet. But long story short, we're just three friends who came together to do games marketing and production support. And they're really just happenstance of our three lives being aligned together. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> the the nine month period you mentioned before where you couldn't work and how you know maybe on your way up in games you were kind of defining yourself by the work you were doing or at least being motivated by it and i can extremely relate to that where as you're coming up especially if usually if you're in this industry you're a big fan of games right so yeah. when you start meeting these people when you start working at these studios it's really exciting you're defining yourself by it you're moving up and then as soon as that slows down maybe you plateau or maybe you end up in a job where it's outside of games pays well and you kind of just keep moving on with that you kind of hit that struggle period where you're like what what do i do now yeah what, what's what's the next step for that nine months even though that was difficult for you because you are career oriented was did you have a moment by the end of that where you felt like maybe you grew a lot as a person not to get way too deep but grew a lot as a person because you were able to kind of see who you were outside of work for nine months now that you are working again are you still the same way in terms of completely defining yourself by your career has that changed a little bit oh no um it's tremendous kind of the shift in priorities that happens um our industry is the one of the most and probably the most i mean i'm super biased rewarding industries to work with because you get to work with those amazing creators and just this pool of incredible talent and it's very especially on our level you know in terms of marketing and pr we're out there we're at shows and we see the faces of the players when they get to try something that they've been looking forward to for years are like working on franchises like hitman and tomb raider and everything like it's especially for me as a kid who's played all the tomb raider games with my dad getting to work on Minecraft go is such a life achievement for me and i looking at that same passion in the eyes of 
players who came to PAX and E3 and all of those shows is just the most rewarding thing because there's this direct relation between all the hours you put in and that output of pure passion and excitement in the faces of people. And that's kind of addictive in a way. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's extremely addictive. And so I had this moment in my career where I would do the traditional, you know, 60, 80 hours a week, uh, like workload because I was extremely driven by that. Um, and also I couldn't care less about investing time on my personal life at that time. <laughs> um, and so when I had to do this hard stop for nine months, I mean, as I mentioned, it just changed everything. And now today, like it made me realize how, how important it is to invest time and uh, attention and focus on your personal life as well and build, building meaningful relationships. And now meeting Greg was a life changing thing for me because he's now my priority. Right. And I mean, I'm my main priority. Let's be honest. <laughs> no, just kidding. Well, hold on. Would you put Portillo over Greg or uh, is Greg over Portillo? Man, I'm trying not to now. focus. It has to go on the record. Yeah. Uh, oh, don't let me say that. He's such a cute I, I'm going to have to, you're <laughs> going to have to say this or everyone's going to tweet at you and keep asking. So you might as well resolve uh, this now. I mean, now. wouldn't Portillo be your priority here? Like he's just so yeah. great. He's well, that's, that's my vote. There's no offense to Greg. As a dog father, <laughs> like my priority over everything is my dog. Yeah. So like. I think people just understand that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, figuring out who I was underneath all this career stuff was a, a really um, interesting time. And that transpired into what we made out of Pop Agenda. Um, so, as I mentioned, Nick has a really uh, young age kid. I think his daughter is, uh, I don't want to say anything crazy, eight months now. She was born in <laughs> April. And MC has two young kids as well. Um, and so the what we wanted to do, and Nick, again, knew and experienced the intense work weeks as we all have uh, once you're like in the, you know, in the industry. Um, and so we wanted Pop Agenda to not kind of step back into that. Our goal was to be able to set a specific amount of hours in function of what's going on in our lives. Like when Nick's baby was born, we were very open and transparent about you do whatever it is you have to do. I'm here full time. We're managing our workload and bandwidth in function of what your life priorities are. And we've established individual hour caps so that we yeah. respect that. Like if you only want to do 20 hours a week during the summer break to spend more time more time with your kids or you want to take two weeks off straight fine like we'll just balance the workload differently and if you there's one day and that has happened multiple times because we're all exhausted adults <laughs> if you wake up one day and you're not feeling like you can be productive just log off like just go there's no reason why you should stay up and work today and come back tomorrow and you'll be better you know like mental health for us and Family time is what allows us to do what we do at Pop Agenda, but also Pop Agenda allows us to do this. It's a weird kind of cycle thing, but it's what we wanted to build because we are very aligned in terms of values. And I think that transpires with our clients as well because they know like yeah. everything that we do is communicated very transparently with our clients and they understand that we've been there and we've done that. And now we know 
how to get shit done in the most efficient way, which doesn't mean spending 80 hours staring at a monitor. <laughs> and honestly, working from home as well, the three of us, a work day of four hours is way more productive than 10 hours in an office. Like, it's crazy. Just, I've been measuring my productivity and it's just, it's night and day. We also have a bunch of really awesome tracking tools that let us see the time we're spending on projects and reporting and all that because MC is a true organization nerd. Um, but that's really a great tool. Anyway, so yes, the answer is <laughs> it has definitely <laughs> impacted the way we've built Pop Agenda because we care. I think it's extremely important to be on the same page with people about that too, because you don't want... This is not this is not a reflection of any of the development teams I've been on, but in development especially, it's almost this competition who can see who can work the much to it, the, yeah. who can work more to a certain extent, um, and it's not great for your mental health. And if if you are in that stage that you were in before and that I was in before, where you, your personal life is put to the side, maybe exercise is put to the side, and your main concern is just how much can I work? I, I want to make sure I get there. I want to make sure I stand out. I want to make sure I'm the best at what I do. Then game development is sort of this incredible safe haven where you can just throw yourself at it and pour 80 hours and not even realize it because it feels like, oh, well, this is all an investment. And I know for me, when I I had a layoff and then was unemployed for about five weeks, and that was one of the most rewarding five weeks of my <laughs> life, not because I just slept in late and didn't do anything, but because I was able to kind of, for the first time, take a step back and prioritize and yeah. realize, okay, what do I actually want? What's important to me? Because I finally am at a point where I could admit to myself that work shouldn't be the most important thing. There should be other things that take priority over that. And you want to do great in work. You still want to stand out. You still have that sort of latent work ethic in the back of your mind. But then also it's like what you said before, sometimes you don't feel productive. You don't feel productive. Sometimes if you want to do a five hour work from home day, you're going to get the, you know, essentially 10 hours worth of work done and then go live your life. Yeah. Like go spend time with people. And I think that's, it's critical. I, I, and I, I wish it's one of those lessons that you want to just tell everyone like, Hey, work's important, but also fuck work. Oh but it's God. also one of those things you need to experience to actually get yeah. to, right? Yeah, I don't think I could be where I am today if I had not done those crazy hour work weeks. Uh, I would not recommend it to anybody, but it did <laughs> inform a lot of my decisions today. Um, but yeah, just my, my key takeaway is don't let it define who you are because you don't know what can happen. And one of the key moments for me was when I went to E3 that year um, and I was following Craig around because he got me a pass and he let me kind of hang out and I could still see my square friends and but people like who were kind of meeting up with me and then if we were in a situation where we had to introduce me to somebody else they would just freeze and be like oh this is Greg's wife and I was like no Oh yep. no, there is there is this thing. I I think it's it's yeah, I don't want to say it's a North American thing. It has to be probably the same everywhere. But the first time you introduce yourself to someone, the number one question is, Oh, what do you do? You know, it's what what defines you the most is the work that you do. And I understand that. Um like if if you're a doctor, that that means a lot about yourself. You know, that says that that's taught. I mean, it's uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how we get around that as human beings. Like, what can the yeah. what can be the first question that you ask someone when you meet them, other than what we do for a living? 
Uh, how about like, what is your dog's name? Yeah, or that's what a breed of dog question. do you own? Do you have a like? Pet? Yeah, I don't want to be like someone's <laughs> husband or someone's son or the executive at this. I want to be like, oh, you are the owner of Bella. Even owners, I don't like that either. It's yeah. like, ah, oh, you you look after Bella. You know what? I think we should go back to what is your favorite dinosaur? Okay, and that's really good. We- we just stick to that and then all right triceratops i, th- I think is usually where i would because uh, i was very much like uh, i think a rhino was my favorite animal as a child which i might be in like the two percent of children who's like you know it's the coolest animal rhino because of the horns so i think triceratops is close to that what's your favorite you dinosaur go. oh t-rex oh come on you can't just say t-rex that's like <laughs> no that's like saying your favorite animal is a dog which is true but you got to say something different no i don't i'm not in it to be a hipster like you all right oh i'm uh, being... <laughs> Is it the arms? Is it the T-Rex arms? Or is it just because it's like the first dinosaur everyone thinks of? No, as as someone with extremely tiny limbs, (laughs) I appreciate the T-Rex. Okay, so going back to actual pop agenda for a second, uh, you mentioned before that you were talking to the developers of the Messenger, and you were also talking to um, you were talking to Red Barrels before, so you kind of had those contacts already. But uh, from my end, when I whenever I do a feature. And it had involved interviews before I pitched it to anyone. I wanted to make sure I was in close contact with the people who I'm interviewing to make sure everything's all lined up before I announce anything, before I pitch anything. For you, were you trying to get a bunch of developers on board before committing yourself to this project? And especially before committing to other people to it, did you have a list of people you wanted to make sure you contacted before Pop Agenda became a thing? Interestingly enough, um, no, and that's going to make us seem extremely disorganized. <laughs> you YOLO'd this. This is great. Yeah, no, we definitely did. Um, mainly because none of us have ever owned our own business before. I don't think any of us have freelanced before. Maybe MC um, here and there. But we had so much uncertainty around what we wanted to kind of build Considering that our schedules were so different, we're in two different time zones, we have three different skill sets, we wanted things to happen kind of naturally. And that's only because we have the luxury to do that, thanks to extremely supportive partners. Mm -hmm. Like we're 100% independent, but we rely a lot on our significant others (laughs) to make (laughs) this work. Um, And so right off the bat, again, because of the messenger, because of Outlast and Red Barrels, um, and because of smaller contracts that came through, within the first few weeks, we were already at max capacity. And then we launched the company officially. I think we're registered as of March. MC knows that information. She's the best for all (laughs) details. Uh, We stepped right into GDC, had a lot of meetings at GDC. And then PAX East was immediately after. And I was working with the messenger on site. And so a lot of people were seeing what we were doing um, we were booking interviews and doing PR for them on site, and they had just signed with Devolver. So combining both of those elements just kind of uh, sent us forward really fast. And then we never, we, we have yet to do biz dev for anything because it just naturally happens, which is something I tremendously appreciate, um, again, because of the vibe we're going for with Pop Agenda is just like, we want to help the best devs out there. And we're very selective about 
about the projects that we're working on. Um, and so them coming to us is kind of the best case scenario. Um, and we're just, we have the opportunity to be laid back <laughs> as a company. And I appreciate that. And so, yeah, it just all happened naturally. And also because it's a small industry and people talk to one another and our work ethic is super strong. Um, and they know that what motivates us is working with great games, not as much like, let's make a shit ton of money, you know? Like, we're just mm -hmm. here to share our knowledge and support them as much as we can and building this incredible roster of games like a publisher would do, except we can't give anyone money. So we're just like <laughs> backstage publishers. <laughs> do you actually call yourself broke publishers directly to them? Like, is, is that oh, like yeah. on your website? Oh, yeah. And they, they, I mean, it's interesting because everyone that we work with, they don't want a publisher. They just need support because they're focusing on making great games. And that's what we do. You know, we're not seeking the spotlight. We're not looking to make acquisitions and like expand and hire. We're totally going to have to hire next year. <laughs> but, you know, we're just doing this because we love doing it. And I think that spirit fits with a lot of independent developers that oftentimes they've already released a game or they know how to market a game and they understand that they can't do it alone this time. And so they know us throughout the industry and so forth. You know, it's just like a natural fit. Um, it's really hard to describe us. And as a brand manager, I find that extremely excruciating because <laughs> positioning and branding is stuff I do for a living. <laughs> and well, I'm like, I, cool. I really understand it though, because I mean, with this podcast, I've talked to so many indie developers who have these incredible ideas, these incredible games that in my mind don't really get the recognition they deserve. And when you think about indie games, I'll always go back to like the time of Braid and Cra Castle Crashers where yeah. Those are incredible games, but at that point, there were so few things like that that yeah. they just exploded and they became massive names and, and massive successes. And now, if you look at especially Steam, if you look at Steam, there's just constant new releases where it's hard to stand out. It's hard to stand out on PSN. It's hard to stand out on Xbox in general because things just keep releasing. And you, especially this year, it's like there's a billion things I still want to play that are incredible. Like my yeah. favorite game this year was an indie game called Moonlighter. Like that was yeah. the one that grabbed me. And I'm like, I understand that there's God of War, there's Red Dead, there's Spider-Man, but this is my favorite thing. And you, you, it seems like your team, a lot of what you're doing is trying to make sure those games like The Messenger actually get out there. And The Messenger is a great example because awesome game, great concept. And it exploded as soon as it came out. I feel like everyone was talking about it for, you know, that's usually my Twitter test, right? Where you look and you're like, oh. Everyone is currently talking about this thing. And your goal, I would assume, is to get everyone to talk about that thing. Yeah, I think my, just to refine that a bit, my goal is just to get it in front of the people mm. who it will matter to and they will do the rest of the job. You know? <laughs> um, because that that's really what it comes down to. You know, if you're trying to shout on all the rooftops at the same time, you're just going to exhaust whatever marketing budget you have or whatever energy you have as a studio um but yeah no that's a lot of what we do and again just connecting the right people with the right games and giving them the space that they deserve in this incredibly crowded market space and then you look at the epic store and discord and steam and it's all just it's 
constantly evolving and it's just going to keep on changing. And so that's what we also aim to provide is just this break for devs to focus on their craft and let us handle all this weird stuff that's happening. <laughs> How do you decide what the right thing is for specific developers? Because just for me personally, when the reason I got into Dead Cells was a Polygon review by Justin McElroy, that was like a nine out of 10, had no idea about the game, saw that and I'm like, all right, I'm in. But for maybe a game like The Messenger or um, for a horror title or something like that, maybe the best route is to try to get this in front of the right streamer, the right YouTuber, the right yeah. podcaster, anything like that. It's so different. When I was working on here they lie which is a horror game on psvr it was such a challenge because horror games in my mind are best on youtube or twitch but psvr is hard to get yeah. on video on stream so you're like oh man how do you how do you communicate this has that been maybe one of the bigger challenges is trying to figure out what game and what studio belongs on what type of platform or what type of media yeah i mean it's figuring out who your target audience is right and who are the biggest voices in that area or the biggest um digital billboard for that like if there is a specific streamer or influencers like if 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 they are into the content that you're offering that's where it should be you shouldn't be just shelling out hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, into digital marketing if you haven't nailed that first and foremost you know um yeah. and especially in this day and age i think the piecemeal approach of having a real conversation with a streamer that or a, a content creator that you know is going to be interested in the product and not just trying to sell it to them as a marketing opportunity is definitely what's going to make the difference in this you know um, and so, yeah, it's evolving so fast and it's, I think what we need to remember is that all those new kind of digital marketing, um, oceans that those streamers are creating, they're just people making content. And I think living with Greg has made me realize a lot about this because <laughs> he gets hit up a lot by marketing people and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, um, it it could be confusing, I would assume, with like, what is marketing? What is personal opinion content? Yeah. What is sponsorship? And like, it's someone like Greg, I assume, is getting just a, a mountain of emails. As someone who sent him, I think, four emails um, at one point before, like, he's like, I'm totally sorry, it's flooded right now. Like, <laughs> I, I absolutely understand that. And even the changing nature of it is extremely yeah. interesting, because I've been, I won't say company, I've been in meetings with developers where a big focus of the conversation is, can we make this streamable? Like, yeah. Can we make this something that people want to watch on Twitch or want to watch on YouTube? And because it's constantly changing, the weird thing is, if you're talking about that at the start of a development cycle, when that thing comes out in 2021, will it have shifted so much that people yeah. aren't even using Twitch anymore? Is it something yeah. entirely different? It is a moving target. So like, how do these conversations go with developers? Because for you lately, you're probably coming in more toward the end of a project. So you can recommend like, hey, do this, go for this direction, and I'll get this in front of the right people. But maybe in the future, are you considering getting embedded even earlier in a team where you're having these more forward-thinking conversations about how to adjust things as the landscape changes? Yeah, that's interesting because 2019, we have, I think, the majority of our projects were coming in really early. 
um, a lot of those projects won't get announced until many more months. So I'm excited to be uh, hopping in earlier because we can help them define kind of what makes them the strongest in their field. Um, and really, that's what I think everybody should be focusing on. And I've also been sitting sitting in meetings where um, the direction wants the game to be one thing that is of mass appeal, but lacks soul in the way that indies make their games. Like most indie teams I know make a game that they want to make and that they want to play, you know, and the rest kind yeah. of happens naturally. If you look at the story of the messenger, see, he has been wanting to make this game for the last 10 years. And he was this engineer who had always been turned down for design um opportunities throughout his career and at some point he was just you know what fuck it i have this game design document i've been carrying with me for the last 10 years and he pitched it to martin and martin was like let's do this and then that's how the messenger came about like it's this weird story from when he was a kid and he got this cartridge from his grandfather that was ninja gaiden and then he's always wanted to make this ninja gaiden uh homage you know and they just made it happen and everything else happened not to say that I, I didn't do any work, you know, but it was really easy <laughs> because the game was excellent and it was speaking for itself. And I think when you're independent, you have more capacity to do that rather when you have to answer to a board of directors uh, and a board of directors usually who they understand that there are trends on the market, but they also those trends and the pace of the market is just impossible to follow. You cannot base, like make a business decision right now for a game that's going to release in four or five years you know so make something that you like and then we'll adjust <laughs> as we go you know sure but is there also a risk on your team's part and not saying you'd ever purposely do it but of like a backseat developing type feel so if you, if you go into a team that you know is talented and you do see that they're doing something that maybe they're not as passionate about it. it's more of like well fortnite's big right now so we need to make some tweaks to make sure we grab the fortnite audience or make a game as service we really don't want to do a game as service have you had moments or do you think you might approach moments where you'll work with any team and have to have maybe a difficult conversation saying like hey we don't even think you want to make this game like we think you're doing this because of marketing reasons because of pr reasons because of positioning reasons when deep down you want to make this do you think those conversations might happen Oh, yeah. Um, and they know that we will have those. Com if if we were to sign something that, because um, again, I don't think we would sign a game that inherently we feel has no kind of gut motivation. You know, yeah. the games that we signed, we want it to be your guts on the table. This is your passion project. We're, we're fucking doing this, you know? Hmm. If you're doing something solely for the purpose of making a profit, I don't think we're going to sign you. Um, not because we think that's a negative endeavor. It's just not something that motivates us as a team to run after profit. We, ho we hope that your game is going to make a profit, you know? <laughs> but we don't want it to be exclusively motivated by that because um, usually that ends up being a lot of development pitfalls and a lot of back to the drawing board and again because AAA companies tend to do that a lot in their prototyping phases and we we've seen it happen and i'm not saying necessarily in my previous work experiences but in the industry as a whole you know yeah. um and so if we were to sign something that 
took that tangent, we would immediately sit them, sit them down and be like, let's have a conversation, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and they know that. And I think that's something that they appreciate. I think Nick, especially on my team, has an incredibly critical, critical eye on everything that's happening in the industry. And we have a really strong no bullshit um, nose. So it's, yeah, we we aim for people to make the best games that they can, but also be the best person that they can. And that sounds kind of cliche, but it's just conversations that we're going to have if we need to have them. And you mentioned before having the support of a significant other, and that's financially, but also you started a business after being a, like going through this entire process of being able to work in the US. And just thinking about starting a business makes me sweat, makes me exhausted. I want to take a nap. Like It just seems like there's so much that goes into it. One, how much how how much of a benefit was there having someone like Greg around who started kind of funny and has already been through this? And two, was it easier or harder than you thought to start a business from scratch? The first time I talked to Greg um, about me starting this business, he looked at me in the eye and he said, are you sure and are you committed to literally marrying those people that you're starting a business with because it, it's not a fucking walk in the park. And he was yeah. very transparent with me about how difficult it is and how everybody needs to be just as committed. And he's right. You know, it, it was not paternalistic at all. <laughs> it was really, <laughs> hey, I've been there and shit gets rough. And you're in a consulting business. What's kind of positive is that we can't really write off losses like if we're not making money we're just not making money so I couldn't make m less money than zero at that point <laughs> so we were okay you know um, but I'm super lucky and thankful to have MC on board because she's handling all of the business structure and doing all the research because we're a Canadian company um, because Nick and MC are both in Montreal and I'm out here. So we're all even in the company, which is something that right off the bat we wanted to establish. Again, weird thing to be saying as a company, but we're not profit driven. We just want to work with awesome games and, you know, um, we have the capacity to do that. And so she is on top of her shit like no one I've seen, like rarely, she's just killing it. And I'm very thankful for her to be handling all of that stuff because I'm, I have other things to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, but also she's the best at, at doing this, you know? Um, and yeah. so, yeah, starting a business is stressful, but my partners make it seem so easy. Um, again, because we, we communicate super well, we're on Slack every day and we do our calls every, every Man, I think we talk almost every day. Um, and yeah, I just go visit them quarterly and it's just, they, they make it easy because we're, again, we're super aligned in terms of motivation. So. Yeah. And, and you said that a lot of people have come to you. A lot of developers have come to you instead of you like seeking them out at this point. And you did come in with these different contacts already, but, and I won't ask you to show your hand or announce anything you can't <laughs> announce, 
but you know, you play a lot of indie games. You're a fan of indie games. You see a lot of incredible studios out there and maybe play smaller things that people don't know as much about, but you know, you're sitting there like, man, if we could just work on that, we can really get this out there, get this in the right hands. Are you, do you have a big list? Are you currently looking at a lot of studios that maybe released games in 2017 or 2018 who you've either already contacted or want to contact next year to start get the ball rolling and show them, hey, here's what we can do for you to get this out in front of people? Mm, um, the games that we signed for 2019 were all on the on that list. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited for next year. Um, other than that, you know, we're just keeping in touch with everybody. Um, we're not actively bugging them because we know how hard it is to kind of lock an idea down and move forward with it. And when that happens, it's it just we've already either been flirting with with each other or wooing <laughs> <laughs> developers yeah exactly or a lot of them are coming to us being like hey so i applied for this and i if i get it i really want to work with you guys because again like they generally need funds um at the end of the day to be able to work with us i mean not really we have business models that allow you to pay us at the end but we don't you know we just leave usually when it's yeah. done <laughs> um yeah, so no, it's been really easy. Uh, and I think it's because we, again, we have the luxury to be able to do that without much financial financial stress. And I say that looking out of my San Francisco window, being like, oh man, <laughs> rent's really expensive. <laughs> no, I was just kidding. It is. Um, yeah, no, I'm excited. All the games we wanted to work with and the teams we wanted to work with, we get to do that next year. Um, and so I'm not, I can't say more, but it's really exciting. Yeah. We're both in a, I can't say more <laughs> type of situation right now, because I mean, as this podcast goes live, I'm probably able to announce what I'm doing like four days later or something I'm like so that. I'm so excited but... for you. I can't wait. <laughs> well, like what you're doing is, I think I will have a similar opportunity in a way I can't explain yet, but I totally get how exciting that is because when I do have people on this podcast who I get to play, um, Yoku's Island Express is one of my favorite indie games that came out this year because it's fucking adventure platformer pinball and it's beautiful and it's awesome. And as soon as that was done, all I wanted to do was help that team in any yeah. way I could and get that yeah. get the word out there. Not from like a, hey, they paid me a promotional fee to do this. Just from like, hey, have you guys seen this incredible game with this awesome soundtrack and this unique clean look? And yes, it's pinball, but it's so much more than that. And I, this is exciting to be able to play those games and talk to those people. Yeah, and in the same way that, you know, I joke about people having to pay us to get support, but that's not true. Like, we also connect people with publishers. When we feel that there is, like, you should work with XYZ, we're going to build your deck and send it over to XYZ and help you through that process. That's something that we've been doing for many projects right now, um, and even first party. Like, we're not in it to lock you down and ask you to pay us forever like if we think that you have a definite advantage whether it is financial or resource based we're just here to help you make your game happen in the least stressful way <laughs> and if that means <laughs> signing a publisher that won't want to work with us i'm down with that you know i just want your game to see the light of day so totally i get it do you have contacts at this point in every, just about every major or minor publisher? Are you, do you have like a full list of like, all right, if we need to talk to Activision, if we need to talk to EA, if we need to talk to Take Two, anything like that, do you have contacts everywhere at this point? It's pretty well defined. <laughs> Again, I think it's the, 
the years of going to events and just the the solid network I've been building throughout the years. So it's yeah, I'm not. I can confidently say that yes, if you're there's one specifically that you want to talk to, or if your game is a specific fit for that one publisher, we're gonna make it happen. I mean, not signing the deal, but at least connecting yeah. you together. Yeah, and that's where we talked about before all those way too long weeks that like both of us are like, no, thank you, never again. But those come in handy so much yeah. later when you're in these situations like that where you need to pull back from that. Uh, I mean, I know you haven't been doing this for too long, just in terms of pop agenda. But what's been the coolest moment so far in terms of seeing a team turn things around, or maybe just seeing a team succeed even beyond your wildest expectations because you you always think like oh this this idea is incredible but you have to be a realist you have to understand that there's still it's a competitive crowded market so some yeah. games can only get so much so much shine so much buzz but what's been the coolest moment for you for me this year um i think like i had worked with Siehi, again the sabotage guys in my first job in the industry um and Siehi and i had never really uh hung out you know we worked in the same studio but we weren't really acquainted um and getting to know him this year and seeing his dream unfold behind like before him and just in front of his eyes was the most incredible experience um as someone who enabled a lot of opportunities for him and again like none of that would be possible without the amazing work that he's put into that game but he's probably one of the most beautiful human beings I've ever met in terms of he is the most genuine, kind, humble, and just complete in complete disbelief at everything at any given moment because he's just a guy making a game, you know? Yeah. And so he's taking everything at a really first degree. And I, as someone who did PR for him, I'm like, cool, prepping you for that eventual two out of 10 that you're going to get, you know, someone <laughs> somewhere is going to really shit on your game. Um, and he's just the sweetest human being. And just bringing him and doing the red carpet with him at the Game Awards. And just, you know, I mean, it's fucking crazy that you get to enable someone to live his dream. To me, that's the that's why I'm doing this. You know, yeah. and I'm saying this, and I have goosebumps, and I'm like, oh, I love him so much, <laughs> and I'm just so happy about where we are now and what he's able to do now because he's followed his dream, and I had a small part I could play in that. You know, yeah. Um, so the that's also when you know you're doing that. the right thing. When you get goosebumps when you're just talking about it, that's when you know you chose <laughs> the right career. Like yeah. I've I've been there and I get that, and that's when you know, like, all right, when you could talk passionately about this like in front of your computer screen into a microphone and get goosebumps about it. That means you're doing the right thing. And like the, the funny, you know, preparing people from the, for that bad review is one of those things that, boy, I, I reviewed games for years, like on GameSpot, IGN, everything like that. And of course I took them all seriously, but the weirdest just switch was when I was a part of a team as a contractor and the embargo lifts. Cause you're just like, I have, no idea what to expect especially yeah. with a like if you're if you're working on a game that you know is going to maybe not fly with everyone it's a very specific type of audience and i'll always remember the waking up and seeing it like i think it's an eight and a half out of ten at game informer i'm like oh my god this is great and then and I, i'm fine with 
this is, there's no ill will like Jim Sterling giving it a one out of 10. And I was like, Oh my God, I don't even know. What do I do with this information? What's the Metacritic going to look like? Like I've, I haven't seen a one out of 10 in a while. Did you have anything like that with developers where there's a really low score and you had to like, just calm them down a bit or explain like, it's totally fine. Oh man. With the, I mean, the go games back at square were such a, a roller coaster of emotions. I think one because they were extremely high quality games, but they were on mobile and they were leveraging incredible franchises, but they were on mobile. <laughs> so we could <laughs> only see the most like torn apart um reviews and people were trying not to like it because it was on mobile. Um but at the end of the day, like everything was stellar except you know, those couple occasional two out of 10, oh, it's not a real AAA game. You know, it's an interpretation, it's a creative interpretation of, but it's not like my gritty hitman experience that I was looking for. Um, and you have to do a lot of mediation when that happens to the, the teams because they take it extremely personal, as, yeah. as I can imagine. You, you've poured your blood, sweat, and tears in that game, and someone over at I won't name the outlet, but it's, it's in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, oh, uh, you know, the average, mediocre, whatever, two out of ten, I don't care. Give me a triple A game. Um yeah. that hurts, you know, because it's just like they didn't like it. But, you know, just move on. You have to move on. You can't focus on that. It's yeah, it, it it's strange because I think I gave I won't say the name of it. I gave an indie game a few years back, like a a three or four out of ten um and within minutes after the review went live i got a, you oh my god a personal very upset email essentially saying like hey by the way yours is the lowest review i like i hope you feel good about this and i was like whoa okay. and like at that point was still early in the industry and just not prepared turns out there were other reviews that came out that were lower so it wasn't like i was giving it a one and everyone else gave it a ten but I, now that i've been on both sides i don't fully understand actually hitting send but i do understand drafting that email and being like this motherfucker i put you know three years this is my baby you're giving a three out of ten you asshole you probably didn't play it right like all those compulsions are things i could at least understand even if like i, I think the main thing is having someone in your life to be like just don't send it like it's oh not yeah that's why PR people are the best <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you know what? Let, 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 let's just go get a drink. Let's just ignore yeah. that email. Just don't, just don't send this. What are you doing? Oh my god, you sent it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a clusterfuck. That's when you do need a PR person and be like, you know, it's better than hitting send. Just like go grab a whiskey. I promise everything's gonna be okay. It's just one outlet. We'll move on. Uh, exactly. One other thing we talking mostly about indies but you do have that triple a background like you mentioned with with tomb raider with hitman everything like that what's sort of the biggest lessons you've learned from triple a that you feel like can carry over to an indie landscape i mean they're strangely similar um i think triple a just had just has a lot more means and a lot more paperwork um (laughs) (laughs) but it's at the end of the day it's still the work of passionate people I think what it brought me and Nick specifically, because uh, we're both again from Square, right? Is um, mm-hmm. taking your ideas seriously and treating them like they're AAA IPs, and building your tools and your decks and everything like we're 
just at another AAA company. And, you know, this is just as serious as if we were working on a Tomb Raider game, in my opinion, um, because it's your passion. And I understand that there is a bit less legacy around it, <laughs> but it's, it's just as important to me. Um, and yeah, just being properly set up from a legal standpoint and being properly set up in everything else and treating it like we would any other AAA franchise. Yeah. Um, cause it's more of the same really. And if anything, it's more risk, um, in the indie world than the AAA world. Cause you're always going to be able to offload some costs in the AAA world and prototype a new thing. And, but the, if you mortgage your house and the indie universe, you can't have a second shot at it, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's, that's the, the main scary part about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last thing, what are your big goals for the company in 2019? I, you mentioned you've already signed on a lot of different people that you can't talk about, but maybe for you personally, now that you've got your feet wet and you understand this side of the business even more from this indie angle, what are you looking to do? Man, um, it's tough because what we signed for next year is, I don't know. It's another league completely. <laughs> Can you at least give a number of how many games you've signed at this point? Is that like is that something? Oh, no, you can't I don't mention? even want to say it because it's oh, gonna be man. real if I say it. <laughs> and More I don't want than to be real. five. I can't say because it's okay, scary and it's December and it's not yet twenty nineteen <laughs> and I'm I'm scared. just here to stretch you out. <laughs> I didn't mean to be anxious today. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um oh man. Um the I think for me, what's interesting is those games are following, they're not following, they're spearheading a completely different creative arc or arch English, mm -hmm. um, which is completely different from last year. And they're all so impressive in terms of art direction and idea. And I just, it's unlike anything I've seen so far in the, on the market, so I'm pretty excited. Um, but what I want to achieve for Pop Agenda specifically, I think, one, we're definitely going to have to look into bringing more freelancers on board um, or employees. I haven't figured that out yet if we want to actually start being a really <laughs> more company. More stress. I mean, uh, would I trust myself with somebody else's salary? <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. Dude, I don't know. I think we're... We had such a good first year. Um, second year can only be better. And I want us to be in a place where we have this internal business streamlined. And that, I mean, our clients have no idea um, how hard we're working on the business side of things. But for me, being able to kind of alleviate that a little bit uh, for the sake of MC would be amazing. She's doing tremendous work on that front. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just want to make games happen in 2019. That's all I want. Well, let's make it more stressful for you right before you go. If people yeah. do want to reach out to you and sign on and and make it so there's you have like a dozen games signed on next year, <laughs> uh, what's the best way to do that? And where can people find you and your team on social media? Um, the easiest way would be to go on our website at popagenda.co, not .com because we're broke publishers. <laughs> Um, and they're asking for way too much money for that domain. <laughs> and I'm never going to get it. Um, and all our social media handles are on there. And you can also contact us if you're a content creator or a, a media person or a developer. Like it's a one pager and it's super easy just to find our information on there. 
because my Twitter name is way too complicated to spell out <laughs> on the website. <laughs> I, I totally get it. This is that we're back to the French name thing where it's like it just makes Twitter handles an absolute nightmare. Where so I have to like explain. Yes, Renauden, there's a U in it. Like you can do it, I promise. It's just a giant clusterfuck. Uh, Jen, thanks so much for doing this. It's it's always fun talking to people who you could tell genuinely love what they're doing. And it seems like something that wouldn't be rare, but it's becoming rarer and rare. And And your situation is just like a dream job for a lot of people. But for me specifically, as soon as I was reading up on it and as soon as I, I saw what you did with the messenger, I'm like, man, that is the coolest fucking job in the world and you get to do the coolest fucking job in the world all throughout 2019 and beyond so can't wait to see all the stuff you're working on uh can't wait to see you as always on more kind of funny stuff your instagram is a treasure and i am a fan of your dog and also i have a feeling we will be talking again soon maybe about business so looking forward to that too i'm so excited for you i can't wait <laughs> thank you so much i'm excited for me too because i have no idea how this is going to go and it's going to be an adventure so thanks again Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hopefully, tune back in for the next episode of The 1099.